onto the quay and I just noticed a couple of men with an aerosol can and they were just spraying this line onto the edge of the quay. And I thought, well, that's a bit strange. I wonder what they're up to. And um, I went downstairs and out onto the quay and my neighbour Val, who lives in the end cottage, came out as well because she'd obviously spotted this, um, what was going on. And we both went up to the two men and we just said, oh, what are you doing? They said, well, we're measuring up for a, a fence and it's going to be a two metre high steel safety fence. remember why I was there because uh, I didn't think that I could possibly take part in the pantomime but we, anyway we were going through the, the read through and, uh, and I said well I'll, I'll do the dame you know and, uh, and so off we went and it starts my lord ladies and gentlemen it was dark and stormy night uh, now boys and girls can you stop sleeping my lords ladies and gentlemen it was a dark and stormy night. A wicked southeasterly howled up the old river store. Thunder crashed on yonder stage. How could you miss the old baggage? Lightning flashed. And the heavens themselves cracked open. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, can you see Sleeping Beauty slumped on yonder? And anyway, and I started yes, the, the, the breathe through it. I go, pretending to be asleep. And then it came to the, when I, when it comes to the, my first speaking part, I sort of went, Oh, Boris, Boris, where art thou, my white-haired poodle? And I sort of went along like this. And James suddenly said, you've got the pot. Yes, well might you shiver, for this is Dame Edme Beveridge the hero of our terrifying tale, and the blue-blooded landlady of the Grapevine Inn. Now, despite this irritating storm, they made me has fallen into a deep and troubled sleep. In her so dreams, we went. she awaits the return of the took a lot of, of rehearsals, I seem to remember, and Paul James, I think, was pulling his hair out, um, and was horrified who he landed himself to. Dame Edmie, Miss Sappy, there's a boat rolling and pitching off the quay. We think it's the fireworks ship. My son Alfie was seven when we started rehearsing this, um, this pantomime and he was middle-aged by the time we put it on. <laughs> Everyone who has been involved in, in the Curse of Foggy Key, the pantomime, has come away scarred in some way or another. Notably, um, Dame Edme, who play who played by Willie Messon, who still wanders around to this day at various functions wearing um, a dress and squawking loudly at everyone, right, left and centre, about Blue Nun or some <laughs> ghastly joke from the play. 
there are actually some wonderful jokes from the play, but they keep on going on and on. The damn thing won't die. One night she knelt down by my side when I was fast asleep. She threw her arms around my neck and she began to weep. She wept, she cried, she nearly died, a sight so sad to see. So all night long I held her in my arms to tempt her away from foggy, foggy keys. It was a sort of typical Christmas pantomime performed by um, amateurs, some of whom were very skilled, actually, some of whom were rank amateurs on any basis. And in, in all uh, events, it was terribly dis- ill-disciplined. Oh, it was terribly ill-disciplined. Terrible. No one ever turned up on time for a re- rehearsal. Some Nobody didn't loved turn their up lines. At all. No one knew their lines, even at the dress rehearsal. Um, but, the, but it all went remarkably well. We put on three performances of this. The star was undoubtedly Dame Edme, um, who was a typical pantomime dame, um, and, and still lives the role, actually, on a regular basis. I, in fact, I took him off sh- sh- a short time ago um, in, um, in, in my 1932 convertible MG, and he sat in the back, dressed up in his Dame Edme clothes, as we went down to the, for him to launch a, a, a boat in the local boatyard. It was all enormous fun, but the one thing it did bring home, to me at any rate, was that there's a huge amount involved in doing a production like that. It is absolutely enormous. You get an idea in the, under the shower in the morning and there are a million and one things which can go wrong before you actually get it performed on the boards uh, at Christmas time. What we got here then, eh? Fence jumpers. I hate fence jumpers. I hate them almost as much as I hate carrots. And I really hate Carrots. You know what? It took such a long time to write this pantomime because every time we read it out to each other, we'd end up rolling around the floor in hysterics. We actually never got to the end of a single rehearsed reading of the damn thing. And Willie, who was there from the very beginning, from day one, I think spent had had five years worth of rehearsals, still looking in his basket at dress rehearsal night, trying to read the bloody script. I could not believe it. I was going nuts. Friday night, I remember, was the opening, and as as Etzel started, the curtains opened, and I have never been so petrified in my life. I was actually shaking with fear, and having remembered all the words, remember you just completely blank out. Anyway, I, 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 it, it went from there, and I and I struggled through, but. And, and you say, Esther, is that you've got to do the odd ad-libbing because, uh, I mean, it's there to amuse people. And that I was obviously, of course, the most important member of the cast and the most important person on the stage, and I acted accordingly. <laughs> yeah. And you never quite recovered, have I you? I never quite recovered. I still have nightmares of it. But I'm sure one day I will reappear in my... If, 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 if God could put me back on this planet again next time, I, I would like to, in my next life, be probably Dame Edme or something, or Dame something. Ah! What in blazes even is that? That, Jamie, is the finest bit of metalwork in all England. 86,000 square foot of top-notch art. Don't be ridiculous, you gumshoe plod. It's a fence! 
Ah, but not just any old fence, my lady. That's an existential fence. Explain to. Simple. The fence don't exist unless you really believe it's there. Have you lost your marble, Blondie? This is a nasty piece of plumbing since a channel tunnel. How could one not miss his cheese grater? It runs slap bang in front of the stage. Very nice a genius, my lady, for legal reasons. You're not even allowed to notice it. And pray tell me, Constable, how does one not notice it? An excellent question, Damien. To which the evil owner has kindly provided the following boring answer. You may not sketch it, paint it, or photograph it. You may not feed it, touch it, or talk to it. And if you're stupid enough to cross this fence, you'll suffer a fate worse than death. It seems very strange that the port owner continued to press forward with the application to change the registration, cancel the registration, ending up with a bill for all the parties concerned uh, in, in these legal proceedings and in the village green inquiry of something like a million pounds. So we had to go through hearings in the High Court, the Court of Appeal, the Supreme Court, and thank goodness there's nowhere else to go after that, and we've now got the order which would enable the fence to be removed. Do you ever get a reaction from the owner of the fence? We had spies from the um, TWL and various other, whoever the, um, the companies that were actually on responsible for putting the fence there in the first place. They sent spies to try and find out what the pantomime was about. And we had a bit of an issue with perhaps what my what, what the lawyers uh, what what they would think about the fact that we actually the owner himself putting him in the pantomime. We changed his name to Partridge, and um, we decided to spank him to death with a plimsoll. Oh, hi there, Boggyites. Knowing me, knowing you, who the devil are you? As of last night, I am the owner of Foggy Key. I shall skewer your Legally, for some strange reason, people take pantomimes exceptionally seriously. So the spies wanted to find out um, if we were breaking the law so they could sue us, but we managed, I think we managed to evade that, in that I don't think anyone <laughs> could possibly come to court and say, I've been misrepresented as being spanked to death uh, by a large gym shoe. Many grim years have passed by. The war of attrition between Mr. Partridge and Foggy has thrown the world economic system into turmoil. The once busy market has closed. The traders have boarded up their wheelbarrows. Cystitis is running rife and the bookshop is closed. Sheer misery. It's essential that people should stand up against mm. individuals who interfere with the enjoyment of life and the enjoyment and pleasure to be derived from the environment we have around, uh, around us by entirely selfish ac actions when there is always a perfectly adequate solution to the problem that they are facing. Uh, I don't think that there's any argument at all uh, about health and safety. There's no argument about his right to put a, a barrier up along the, the edge of the quay uh, for perfectly good purposes. But there's every reason why everyone should oppose unilateral action, which is done in a way which is against the interests of the whole of the community. 
and it just needs people to stand up and do something about this. Uh, and Miss Lee has done that. They've all rallied round, um, and, and at no time has it ever occurred to us that we should not carry on. I have to say the most exhausting thing was preparing for the, those eight, this eight-day first inquiry because it literally meant that Simon, who had, is obviously retired, I would say we're probably working eight-hour days pretty much solidly for a year and a half. We produced 1,600 pages of documents for this inquiry. And I also would say without somebody like Simon with legal knowledge, it would not have been possible. You need somebody who knows what they're doing or who is prepared to get the head round village green law, which is really not terribly interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. I knew nothing about it before. I've never, ever considered village green law at any time in my professional career. Chair up, me. Before I took sick, I had a cunning plan. And I dispatched my cabin boy, Clegg, to summon the Inquisitor General. His name is David Dumbleby, and his cutting-edge show, Quisition Time, will expose Mr. Partridge for the extraordinary fraud he most subtly is. We're here tonight to discuss the fate of Mr. Partridge's fence. Should it go, or should it stay? The rules are simple. Anyone found guilty will be fried alive. Any questions? Good. But it is absolutely terrifying getting to those moments when you are sitting there waiting for the judges to, 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 to deliver their judgment and to say what the answer is. You can never really quite believe it. And then suddenly it sinks in and you just feel extraordinarily elated. It's absolutely terrific. And it, it's very much a sort of um, David and Goliath um, b battle, actually. And you feel satisfied on behalf of all sorts of people, actually, that, that they are getting the answer that they want. Um, and you also feel slightly satisfied that someone else is not getting the answer that they wanted. When we started to the campaign, the Free the Key sort of campaign started, we obviously needed to raise lots of money and we got really the, the committee that came up with the events. We sort of all become good friends. It just became very much a communal effort, people giving of their time, making costumes, selling tickets, doing the PR, um, going, phoning friends. It, a little bit of communal momentum just goes a hell of a long way. For It sounds silly, but it's for, for things like pantomimes and, and local, uh, local effort. It, it's an amazing thing. That was, that was a real surprise, was just how much people put into it. It raised the awareness of the campaign to get the fence down in the minds of local people at a time when the campaign was flagging. And it was also at a time when we needed some more support. We've been very lucky to get enormous amount of support from local people in small donations, large, some large, larger donations. People have been amazingly generous. And I think it's really brought the community together. Really, it's, it's amazing how many people know about it, come about it. And we particularly noticed that once we won, we had so many messages of support and congratulations from people about how, you know, how amazing it's been. There's, it's just been a really fantastic group effort. We do um, open gardens, we do um, quizzes, so we've had concerts, we've had uh, sea shanties, we've had, 
you know, boat sales, you name it, we've, we've done it. We had one of our neighbors did a, um, how, how do I describe it? He, he actually danced in a bikini <laughs> for some women. I mean, it was pretty weird, but we raised a few pennies out of that how one too. How much did you raise from that, that was a, <laughs> I can't remember what that was for, but I mean, everybody's done something. <laughs> some things a little bit more wackier than others, but it's, it's just really brought everybody together. And it's been, it's been great. Miss Whiplash, you come up here and join me. I was forced into fishnet stockings and all sorts of gear, wigs and dresses. And I found that people who knew me were absolutely, it was quite freaky because they see you, <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't quite sure how to, how to, where to look because suddenly you become a... Men didn't know where to look because they were fancy odd. James as a woman. Like, he has great legs. I and they were like, you are some of, <laughs> some of my male friends could not look me in the eye when I put the costume on. They just could not look me in the eye. The sexual politics of pantomimes are always um, a dodgy area anyway to, to talk about. And they always have been. Um, boys dressing as girls, girls dressing as boys. Funny enough, however, we seem to have wandered into the woke age uh, where pantomimes fit like hands into gloves with regards to gender politics. So here we have two middle-aged men playing Boris, Captain Boris a pirate, and Dame Edme Beveridge, a very fulsome pantomime lady. And their unrequited love drew tears from the audience. Joan Horlock weeping like a baby in, in row two, seat 12. <laughs> the Pope tells me that Mr. Partridge is here, here in this building. No. Knowing me, knowing you, Dumblebee, aha. So good of you to join us from the dark side, you Mr. Partridge. You don't know. The power of the dark side. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. Now, tell us about your ghastly fence. It seems to serve no religious purpose other than annoying locals and endangering sailors. Correct. Then there's nothing you can do about it. On the contrary, there's nothing you can do And having got through that, uh, we then had the, 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 the uh, afternoon's matinee on Saturday, then the final show. And I tell you, I was absolutely uh, over the moon at the end of it because everyone was patting me on the back and we just looked forward to the fence eventually coming down and we'll have a most enormous party and I'm told that they maybe might make an appearance. She can start preparing her dress now really, can't well, she? Well, I'm told, but um, her late mother had many Norman Hartnell dresses which was still in the cupboard. Unfortunately, they made me the one downfall of the uh, last 12 months in the lockdown, and she's put an enormous <laughs> amount of weight on, and I don't think she's going to be able to fit into them. <laughs> and they made me, I know, she is seen around the village. She, she takes a walk virtually every day, doesn't she? But she, she does. But she stops and chats with anyone. Oh, she's she terrible. Knows. I spent hours talking to her. And she never, you know, oh, I was going to go out for half an hour. I've been here for two. Yeah, she is. Huzzah! Huzzah! I told you I'd flat 
the Ike. The odd thing is, he seemed to enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, the wicked partridge is gone. Tonight, we have lifted the curse of Foggy Key. And we are going to celebrate this. <laughs> um, I think we should really have a big party when the fence comes down. Not... Not as a result of the the court action, because that the court action and, and and the judgment of the Supreme Court gets us into a position where we can restore the key to its former glory, and that's the moment to celebrate. Oh, Boris, my lion-hearted poop! I bear you made your choice between me and the deep blue sea. I'm afraid I have my plump space hopper. The sea is like a raging fever in my blood. Watchy Damey has now retired from when I last saw her. She's a much more quieter woman. She no longer drinks, which is a problem probably, because she was always at her best when she'd had at least two or three bottles of blue nun down her, I think. So, uh, and does she go jogging every morning? And she goes jogging. Well, she doesn't jog anymore. She said it's her knee causes an awful problem, but she's always doing a lot of walking she rather favours going to the station buffet, I'm told. They do the most wonderful breakfasts there, you know. <laughs> English, full English. But, uh, <laughs> but I think with the lockdown, she's been sort of rather, you know, How refined. Has she been? How oh, has she been? She, she's all right. I think she's been a bit confined to barracks. She's all right, she's all right. We come on the victory. And congratulations, you know, wow. It's going to go down in history. I hope someone's writing this down for posterity. That's what we'll do. Yeah. We'll bury a time capsule when they do the fence, new fence, underneath the fence. And, and we'll, we'll put the, um, the Supreme Court judgment into a, some sort of form. What a good idea. Did you just think of that I idea? I just thought of, of it, fence? yes. Fantastic. <laughs>